So as we were getting the meeting room ready uh, last couple of weeks for um, Christmas, all the decorations up and um, yeah, all the, uh, all the uh, uh, nativity scene here, I, I said to Susie, I said, I think something's missing. And uh, I texted her and I said, um, the manger, it's empty. Uh, baby Jesus is missing. And so she assured me that he's in the house somewhere, um, <laughs> that Jesus is in the house. But it's not time yet. But I just want to make sure that we have all of our little pieces and, and quite honestly, that I hadn't missed placed Jesus last year when we were cleaning up. But she says, no, he's around here. Don't worry. He's, he's going to be brought out at just the right time, as it should be. It got me thinking about um, years ago, back in uh, actually 2011, some of you may remember, I traveled uh, to Israel with a group of pastors uh, from um, around this area through a Wake Forest program. And we visited the Church of the Nativity, which is one of, if not the oldest, complete church in the world. And I'm sorry, Deep River, uh, we may be 260-some years old, but this church has been around since A.D. 339. I think they win on this one. Um, but this was, this was uh, built years ago uh, by Constantine uh, the Great, who, uh, after his wife visited uh, that area, basically wanted to put up chapels and churches and cathedrals to venerate if you will, revere these spots where traditionally they believed Jesus was buried, uh, Jesus was crucified, uh, and where Jesus was born. So you have this wonderful, beautiful church called the Church of the Nativity. One of the interesting things about it is, is that when you enter it, you have to duck down and bow because the doorway is only about three and a half feet high. Now, the story is that years ago, I mean years ago, 1500s, it was built smaller to prevent looters from taking their carts in there and taking everything away because it's just beautiful with its mosaics, it's beautiful um, with its architecture, its pictures, everything. It's been restored actually since about 2013. Now, most pilgrims who go feel that as a way that when you enter this church, you are having to bow down and humble yourself. And you literally have to almost get on your hands and knees and crawl through the doorway to get in. And then they, they, they lead you and guide you up alongside if you're one of the pilgrims or the tourists. And eventually you are led down to a, a room, if you will, below the altar area. Just imagine something beneath this. And there is a line of people here and they go down some steps under the choir loft back here. And down there is this small area that has this star right into the marble floor. And that is where they tell us that this is the place that Jesus was born. Now, I say all that to say, you know, how often it left me pondering, do we spend time and energy looking for Jesus in these historical and ceremonial places, but we miss the spirit of Jesus actually out in the world where we live and where we move and where we have our being. It was a beautiful experience for me, but yet what I realized was that but Jesus is not contained right here. Jesus is everywhere. Jesus is not contained right here when he shows up. Jesus is everywhere. So historical nativity sites and Christmas nativity scenes, they preserve the memory. But it is the living spirit of Jesus that ignites this imagination and invites us to pay attention to where Jesus is present in the here and now. 
which invites us to ask this question, where in the world is Jesus? A passage that Hannah Jane read gives the story of three wise men or three kings, depending on what scholar you choose to believe, who come in search of this newborn king of the Jews. Their only sign that a king has been born is this star in the east. And so the presence of the star calls him and a sign that a king has been born. And King Herod hears about this birth, and he's threatened as are his staff and supporters. So they comb the ancient text. They ask the prophets. They do their due diligence. And they find that this king, according to the prophets, is to be born in Bethlehem. And so this story filled with intrigue, a story filled with fear and paranoia. King Herod asks the Magi to find this king, report back to them the location, so he can go and worship them. Well, the kings, they do find Jesus. But uh, in a dream, as the scripture says, um, they take another way back because something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't settle right. They know that Herod has other intentions. So what if we were to use this story to frame our question, where in the world is Jesus? I would suggest a few things for us to think about this morning. First is this. Jesus is wherever there are those who genuinely seek him and enter into this journey of exploration and discovery. Now, as I was sitting here doing open worship, the first thought that came to my mind is, I don't know what it is about this season, but this season always invites me to seek deeper. This season always invites me to seek in a way that I've never sought before. For some reason, I'm more open. For some reason, I'm more receptive. Call it the lights, call it the music, call it the joy. I have no idea. But there is a space in me which opens up even more, and I am seeking. And whatever the three kings or the three magi are, they are seekers. And in their seeking, they set out on this journey to discover what their heart and souls call them to. Now, I don't believe we ever stop being seekers. There may be moments in which we come to this deeper awareness or understanding or certitude, but I believe we are continuously seeking because it's when we cease to seek that we cease to discover and come to a deeper awareness and understanding. And to genuinely seek is to be open to however the Spirit of Jesus might form us, shape us, and renew us as the one who is king above all rulers and kings. So maybe during this time of year, we look at the three wise men and say, we're being invited to seek in a deeper way, in a newer way, to be open wherever we are led and how we are led. And sometimes we are drawn to God by this deeper yearning within to follow and see what we find and discover. These three kings went on this unbelievable journey having no idea what they would find. And sometimes in our seeking, we don't know what we're going to find. But in some ways, we are drawn to God in a way that we've never been drawn before. We are drawn to Jesus in a way that we've never been drawn before. Jesus is, again, where is he? He's wherever the way of Jesus is a threat to those in power as well as a threat to those in systems of power. That's the second thing I want to add. Before Jesus was this cute sort of angelic presence in a manger, he was a threat to the established powers and systems of the day. He was a threat to King Herod and to his hold on power. Now, to be fair, Herod was well known for who built many fortresses, aqueducts, theaters, and public buildings, and generally raised the prosperity of the land. But he was also one who in his later years had this cruel streak, prone to paranoia, jealousy, and even violence to his own family. The arrival of Jesus was a threat to the power and the way of Jesus continues to be a threat to power and systems of power today. But not a threat that contains violence, but a threat that undermines the power through compassion, justice, making things right in our world, and befriending the powerless. Now, I'm not opposed to power. 
I don't think all power is bad. I believe God gives wisdom to the powerful so they can serve in a way that is effective. So they can serve in a way that is right. So they can serve in a way which all people flourish. But I often think that egos of the powerful sometimes get in their own way. We see that in King Solomon. We see that in in religious leaders. We see that in leaders in our world. We see that in leaders in nations and in states. I think what we at least can try to understand here is that when Jesus enters into this world, his presence, his way, disrupts and threatens that kind of power. Psalm 146 is a passage from uh, the lectionary that was offered for today as one of the readings, and here's what it has to say. Don't trust leaders. Don't trust any human beings. There's no saving help with them. Their breath leaves them, and then they go back to the ground. On the very same day, their plans die too. The person whose help is the God of Jacob, the person whose hope rests on the Lord their God, is truly happy. God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. God, who is faithful forever, who gives justice to people who are oppressed, who gives bread to people who are starving, the Lord who frees prisoners, the Lord who makes the blind see, the Lord who straightens up those who are bent low, that is, those whose life weighs them down, the Lord who leaves the righteous or loves the righteous, the Lord who protects the immigrants, who helps orphans and widows, but who makes the way of the wicked twist and turn. The Lord will rule forever. Zion, your God, will rule from one generation to the next. I think the way of Jesus is always a threat to oppressive power because he is God in flesh. He is the incarnation of God's righteousness, but he undermines all that oppresses through compassion, through love, through kindness, through abundance, through generosity, through meeting those in need. Jesus is wherever there is that... um, undermining of that and bringing a goodness to life, a goodness to our world, a goodness in all that is right, true, and just. I think Jesus is wherever there is joy. When the three magi, the three kings, saw the star, they were filled with joy. And before they even saw Jesus, they were filled with joy. They came to this revelatory moment of their seeking. And what they were seeking was going to be revealed to them and was preceded and surrounded by joy. And it seems like joy is always part of this Christmas story. It's always part of the season. It's this huge part. We even sang about it this morning. And what we can tell from the story around the birth of Jesus is that joy is always connected up with God's presence. It's connected up with God's revealing presence and the anticipation that God is acting and present in the very moments of our lives. Listen to some of these scriptures from the Bible that speak to joy, but not a shallow kind of joy, but a joy that is just rooted and grounded in life and sometimes in suffering and sometimes in pain. Psalm 126, Lord, change our circumstances for the better. Like dry streams in the desert waste, let those who plant with tears reap the harvest with joyful shouts. Let those who go out crying and carrying their seed come home with joyful shouts, carrying bales of grain. There is this rhythm of life which alongside the suffering and the heartache and the pain and sometimes disappointment, there is also joy which just sprouts up in time. It grows and it matures and it becomes part of our life. Or in the book of Nehemiah, we read this verse, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm convinced joy is not just an emotion. I'm convinced joy is a physiological boost to our own soul and to our own body. There's something about joy that brings us alive. 
There's something about joy which strengthens our soul. Jesus is wherever there is joy, and wherever there is joy, I think there is Jesus. Henry Nouwen wrote, joy is essential to the spiritual life. Whatever we may think or say about God when we're not joyful, our thoughts and words cannot bear fruit. Jesus reveals to us God's love so that his joy may become ours and that our joy may become complete. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. And then finally, I think Jesus is wherever we find ourselves honoring moments because we discover we have found what we're looking for and we discover that Jesus is real. The word in this passage, honor or homage or worship, that's what used, it's what the three kings do when they find Jesus. But when they were in the presence of the divine, they knew they were in the presence of the sacred. And all they could do is kneel. All they could do is worship. All they could do is revere. All they could do in that moment is honor that moment. And what I hope that we take away from this is we don't need to travel to special sites necessarily to experience this. But we can recognize wherever we are that we are in a sacred moment, a divine moment, a moment of miracles. And I believe they're happening all around us and they show up as moments of joy and compassion and kindness and relief and courage and understanding and empathy. Literally anything that breathes life into this life and life into us because it's God that breathes life into humanity. Anything that breathes life is part of this process of God being real in this earth. And I've seen in your lives, as I've been witness to how many of you have offered compassion and presence, as well as being recipients of someone else's compassion and presence. And I've seen that this past week. That's what sort of kind of prompted this question, where in the world is Jesus? Well, I think Jesus is in all these places. Taking in a friend recovering from surgery. Helping a co-worker who suddenly found himself homeless. Buying gifts for folks struggling at this time of year. Helping a mom struggling to make her way through a separation and domestic violence. These are all things I know personally you all have been involved in, some of you. And to me, where is Jesus in this world? That's where Jesus is, in those places. Not contained in one spot or one setting, but he's in those places. And we know the reality of Jesus when we experience a moment of knowing we're deeply loved and valued. Or... We, someone offers us help right when we need it, or we make peace with our past and we're ready to step into a new future. We feel energized by a renewed sense of meaning or purpose. Or we ourselves have been struggling, but we have also come to experience the deep love and care of friends. I could not help but notice this story that Kat shared yesterday. I'm not going to go into all the details of it. She can tell you her own story. All I could do was uh, feel her pain. And it was the pain of a parent being in a store, and you have both kids, and one child decides that this is the time for a scheduled meltdown. And child had scheduled meltdown. And from what I could read, this was a class A top-notch meltdown. Grabbing things, holding on to things, absolutely not willing to go. You've been there. You've either been on the receiving end, or you have been on the observation end as you walk by in the store and you just kind of shake your head and you think, boy, good thing I'm not her, good thing I'm not them. Well, as Kat told the story, this other woman comes in and has the presence and the wherewithal 
and the grace of God to just ask Kat, do you need help? And in that moment, she helped Kat. And in that moment, she provided support and encouragement, and it all began to calm Autumn down. Now, what I'm saying, if you take anything away from this, is you can travel all the way to Israel and see the Church of the Nativity, and if you ever get to do that, enjoy it. It will be a wonderful experience. We can have the most beautiful nativity scenes, and I love nativity scenes. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus has been set loose in this world, and he is everywhere. That's where you can find him. He's in those places. He's in the places in which we discover joy. He's in the places in which we are seeking with all of our heart to come to a deeper understanding and meaning of life. And he's even in those places at times, he's even in those places in which sometimes there is this challenge to power because we all know that the way to power, as Jesus did, is to empty ourselves and to serve. The way to good power is to look out for those who are powerless. The way to good power is to look out for those who are in need. That's where Jesus is in this world. And he's not very far from where we are. I'll close with this word from Henry Nouwen, and then we'll just take a few moments. He writes this, God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus, reveals God as a God who wants to be even closer to his people than his people could ever possibly imagine. The great good news of the gospel is precisely that God wants to be with us to share our struggle, walk our way, suffer our pain, and die our death so that we're able to say there is nothing human that God does not share with us. That is the great good news. God is with us in every aspect of our lives. And that is God, Emmanuel.